Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah that we can give him praise, that we can give him the glory that he deserves. Thankful to God that we still have the activity of our limbs. We still have a reasonable portion of health and sense, enough sense to recognize that God is worthy to be praised. To him be the glory, to him be the honor, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's ask God's blessings on our time in his word. Father, thank you for today. I pray now that you will bless as your word goes forth. Hide me behind your cross that your people might see you, the hope and the light of the world. Use this word, God, to help us in our journey to becoming all you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're like me as a child of God, uh, one of the things that I have been challenged as I have looked back over my life and recognized that I have more days behind me than in front of me. And, and in actuality, this challenge came to a whole new level when I think about the time that we have spent going through this pandemic. I've been challenged to rethink what does it really mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christian? See, I think about life now in terms of the essentials and the non-essentials. The essentials and the non-essentials. The essentials are those things that have to be in place in order for me to function, in order for me to fulfill my potential, in order for me to be in touch with my destiny, my purpose for life and living. I, I, I look for those essentials and I want to major on those essentials and I want to eliminate the non-essentials. My brothers and sisters, here's what I want to submit to you today. I want to submit to you that over the last two plus years, we have spent an inordinate amount of time lamenting the loss of non-essentials. Stuff that has been part of our tradition, stuff that has been part of our historical practices, but I submit to you that they have been non-essential because we have still been able to walk with God, still been able to be salt and light, still have had the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ without those things that have been superfluous or tangential in terms of their significance or their importance. In other words, there's a bunch of stuff that we just haven't been able to do, and you know what we found out over the last two years, at least I found out, over the last two years, I didn't need those things. But what are the essentials? What are the things that have to be in place in order for you to be the child of God that God is calling you to be? 
We're in the midst of a series entitled Being Great for God. And I want to put great in quotation marks because everything that we talk about over this series is about us embracing not just the greatness of our God and recognizing the greatness of our God, but understanding what it takes to be a great person for God, what it takes to be a great believer for God. Now, can I tell you what we've done in the past? We have mistakenly, and I think many times vicariously, lived through what we have defined as what it means to be a great church. And we've defined great church by big building, big campus, big budget. Instead of recognizing that what it means to be a great church is to embrace those great things that our great God has called us to put into practice. So as we continue our series, Being Great for God, today I want to talk to you from the thought, committed to living the Great Commission. Committed to living the Great Commission. Now, for some of you, this may not be uh, sexy enough. This may not be attractive enough. This, this title is not catchy enough to get your oohs and ahs. And, and many times we're looking for uh, a, a sermon that is going to be kind of a feel-good opiate. Instead of recognizing that the blessings of God in your life and in my life are released the most when we learn how to obey God the most. It's when we walk in obedience that we position ourselves to experience the favor of God in a way that we have never experienced it before. I know some pastors that are preachers of the gospel and their philosophy of preaching is to make people feel good. My brothers and sisters, listen to me. I, I don't preach to make you feel good. I preach and teach to help you become good, to help you walk in obedience so that you can experience the victorious Christian living, not dependent upon coming back to the well of this pulpit as if it is a dispenser of some kind of methadone that you become hooked to. But no, to help you learn how to walk in this Christian life, to live this life in a way that pleases God so that the blessings of God can be released in your life. Our text today is a very familiar passage, but please don't tune me out. Because while we have heard it, many of us have never learned it. Many of us have never learned how to apply it. And if you have heard it, and if you have learned it, maybe today you just need to be reminded about what it means to refocus on it. Committed to living the Great Commission. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, to be who God wants you to be, you must make the purpose of the church your purpose as a believer. In order for you to be who God wants you to be, being that great person for God, you must make the purpose of the church your purpose as a believer. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. 
Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given uh, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. This post-resurrection appearance of Jesus stands on the resurrection power of the Lord. And the Lord says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Some translations say all power has been given to me, but there's a difference between power and authority. That word there, exousia, in the original language has the idea of authority, and authority basically means you have the right to use whatever power is necessary in order to accomplish what you are authorized to do. I may have the physical power to kick your door in, but I don't have the authority. But if I come to your house and I am a duly licensed law enforcement officer and I have an executed warrant and I come to execute that warrant, I have now the authority to use whatever force necessary in order to execute the warrant that I have been legally given to execute. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, based on the authority that I have been given, here's what I need you to do. Now, here's the problem in many of our churches. And when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people. Here's the problem for many of us in terms of our mentality that we've got to make a shift. We, we might as well make a shift now while the world is in turmoil, while we're talking about coming back to the church, let's come back in the right way. You see, many people have different notions of what the church is about, what the purpose of the church is. Some see the church as a social club place where we come and hang out. Some see it as a networking center. Uh, some see it as a concert hall, a place to come and hear great music. Some see it as a place that's a, a fashion showcase. If you want to see the latest fashions, this is the place where you get to show off, be seen, and to see what the latest fashions are. Some see the church as a political action committee. Um, this is a place where uh, protesting was given birth to. This is a place where social justice was, was put at the forefront. Some see the church as a place for feel-good messages. Others see the church as a place for feel-good food. Jesus, in Matthew 28, gives us what the purpose of the church is supposed to be. And basically, what he challenges us to do is to put aside the misconceptions, misnomers, and misperceptions many people have about the church that has created an impotent body of Christ in a world that needs to see and experience the power of God. And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, make disciples. I mean, think about this message. He died for our sins, paid the price for our sins. 
the payment was received, justification was taken care of, he is raised from the dead, makes this post-resurrection appearance and says, now let me tell you what's really important. He says, I have risen and now I command you to make disciples. Your purpose, my purpose as a believer, if we're going to be great for God, then we've got to obey the great God that we serve. He says, your purpose is to become a disciple and to make disciples. We not only want to make disciples, but we want to make disciples who realize it is their purpose to make disciples. Can I tell you how we shortcut, short-circuit this process? We, uh, we see people come to Christ, and we help them to become a disciple, but we don't teach and train them how to make other disciples. And so here's what we end up creating. We end up creating this kind of snobbish, elitist social club called the church, and we look down upon sinners and other people who don't know the Lord and the pardon of their sins, and we don't feel any obligation to tell them or to love them or to show them how to walk with Jesus. So we set up our own standard of righteousness and holiness that is apart from what the Word of God says. As a matter of fact, we set up a standard for righteousness that's based upon our ability to live what we can live. So we look down upon people who cannot live how we think they should live instead of looking up to God and commanding and loving all people to follow us as we follow Jesus. He says, make disciples. Make disciples. Uh, A disciple is not only a pupil, but it's a person who commits to adopting the philosophy uh, of another. When you become a person's disciple, you take on their attitude and their actions. You are literally emulating that person because you have embraced how they walk, how they talk, how they think, how they live. Now, here's what's interesting. That phrase, make disciples. Uh, The King James translates that word, teach. But that word mathetes is in the imperative mood, which means it's not a choice, it's a command. And and, and I want to show you later on why that command is so important to obey. It's a command, it's in the aorist tense, it states the fact of an occurring action as a single whole or a simple occurrence with ongoing influence and impact. It's in the active voice, which means what? You have a responsibility to do what is necessary to make a disciple. You cannot help somebody become a disciple if you are not a disciple. You cannot export to somebody else what you haven't imported in your own life. Now, when I say disciple, here's what I need you to understand. A disciple is not a super saint. A disciple is just somebody committed every day to walking in the footsteps of Jesus 
with the determination to become more like Jesus every day of their life. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus, that's a discipleship statement. Follow me, walk in my footsteps as I follow the footsteps of Jesus. And that's basically what we say to other people around us. Follow us as we follow Jesus. You must make the great commission your great commitment. You must help others become who God wants them to be. You must be a disciple who makes disciples. And can I tell you something about being a disciple? Man, it takes work. It takes work. All that Christian cliche, all of that nonsense, all of that running, jumping, shouting, all that stuff, that's not what being a disciple is supposed to be about. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than just knowing the word. It's living the word and living in a way that you can help somebody else live the word. John 8.31, read it with me if you will. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. John 15.8, read it with me if you will. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. When you produce much fruit, Fruit is what we produce that impacts or results in the production of other believers and Christians. He says you need to be a fruit producer. Um, One of my favorite fruits, um, I love watermelon. Love watermelon. Always have. Love watermelon. Man, it doesn't matter. Uh, red meat, yellow meat, watermelon. Man, I love watermelons. And, and listen, I, I thought I had died and gone to heaven the first time I had a sweet watermelon that was seedless. Oh, my God. You, you know, I mean, you know when you slice into that watermelon and it's so ripe, you just, you just tap it with the tip of that knife and it just whoop, opens up and you can like see the sugar, see the sweetness, man. On, oh, man, you're talking about some good eating. I love seedless watermelon. But, but guess what? I remember on one occasion I was thinking to myself, man, I would love to dry out the seeds and plant some seedless watermelon. But then it hit me. Wait a minute, if it's seedless, how can I plant the seeds from a seedless watermelon? Here's what I came to understand about seedless watermelons. Seedless watermelons are a creation of man. There's been a crossbreeding in order to create a seedless watermelon. And seedless watermelons, listen carefully, were created to maximize pleasure at the expense of reproduction. Lord, have mercy. Seedless watermelons give great pleasure, but there's no reproduction. And can I tell you something? We've got too many, not seedless watermelons, we've got too many seedless saints. 
seedless saints who are living for their own pleasure instead of the reproduction of Jesus Christ in and out of their lives. Boy, I wish I had some help on that point right there. You, you, you've got to understand that, that, that you cannot live this life for your pleasure. You've got to live this life for God's purpose. And for many of you who are listening right now, including myself, the pleasure you thought you couldn't live without, man, you found out over the last two years you can live without that pleasure, but I promise you, you will never fulfill your life's potential trying to live apart from God's purpose for your life. Here's the second thing. Number two, to be who God wants you to be, you must do whatever it takes to make disciples of Jesus Christ. To be who God wants you to be, you must do whatever it takes to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, for many years, I would hear preachers preach this passage and they would talk about go. I would hear them teach this passage and they would talk about go. And I remember the old preacher saying, you can't spell good without go. You can't spell gospel without go. You can't spell God without go. We've got to go. Here's the problem. Go is not an imperative. Go is not a command. As a matter of fact, go is a participle that really should be translated as you go. Basically, here's what the Lord says. You don't have to make a special trip to make a disciple. He says, as you are going about your day-to-day living, for some of you, you have a mission field right in your home. You don't have to go anywhere. For some of you, you've got a mission field. You've got an opportunity to disciple people. Now, when I say disciple people, what am I saying? Remember, there's only two kinds of people in the world. People who need Jesus and people who know Jesus. People who need Jesus need to be discipled in a way that helps them to know Jesus. People who know Jesus need to be discipled in a way to help them grow in Jesus. What does that mean? Everywhere you go. You're going to run into somebody who either needs Jesus or knows Jesus. Either way, they are a candidate for discipleship. So he says, go. Go. Make disciples is the imperative. And the imperative grammatically is supported by two participles. Please stay with me. I want you to understand. When the Lord says make disciples, some of you are looking at me right now saying, Pastor, I don't know how to make a disciple. What does it mean to make a disciple? Listen to what he says. He says you make disciples by seeing two things happen. One, he says baptize them. That's A, baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Baptizing initiates them into the fellowship of the family of faith. These are the people who need Jesus. We want them to come to know Jesus. We believe in a believer's baptism. We believe the scriptures are true, that you must repent, believe, and be baptized. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. And we believe an outward expression of that inward faith is shown to the world when you make the commitment to be baptized. Baptism doesn't give you salvation. It is an act of obedience to testify to the world that I've chosen to identify with the resurrected Jesus Christ. How many unchurched, unsaved people do you come in contact with? How many times do you share your faith with them? How many times do you live in a way around them and in front of them that they say, you know what, what's different about you? Can I have what you have? Is there something distinctive in your living? Are they seeing something that says there's something special inside of you? Or are you living the same way they live? And the only difference between your life and their life is where you show up on Sunday. He says, you must commit yourself to sharing the good news of the gospel to those who are lost. Can I tell you something? If you don't share the good news of the gospel the unconditional love of God that meets us where we are to help us become what God wants us to be. If you do not share, if you're not willing to share that good news with others, what you are basically saying to them is you can go to hell. If you're around family members, loved ones, and friends, and you never share the gospel with them, you never share the love of God with them, you're basically saying you can go to hell. But he doesn't stop there. He says, not only should you baptize them, but watch the second thing. B, teach them. Teach them to obey. Teach them to observe all things, to walk in obedience. And that concept, that idea of teaching them is this idea of focusing on nurturing them to help facilitate their spiritual growth. It's it's helping them to obey and grow in their walk with the Lord. Now remember what I said, two kinds of people, people who need Jesus, people who know him, which means what? There's nobody who is not in need of being discipled. If you need him, we need to help you know him so that you can get baptized in a way that honors him. If you know him, then you need to grow in him. Now, listen to me carefully. I said earlier that being a disciple does not make you a super Christian. It really is intended to make you a super servant. Being a disciple makes you a super servant. 
And you know what a super servant does? Find people where they are. Help those who need Jesus come to know him. Help those who know Jesus, even when they make mistakes, help them to grow in him and never open your mouth about where you found them. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. Listen to me carefully. You don't have to be perfect to be a disciple. You just need to be committed to the process of being what you want to help other people to become. Our purpose is disciple-making. I've got to close here. I've got to close here. I'll pick up next week. But, but this is what I need you to understand. This is what I need you to understand. So many times in the body of Christ, so many times in the body of Christ, we major on minors. Ushering is fine. But, but Jesus didn't command us to usher. Singing in the choir is fine, but that's not what Jesus commanded us to do. Coming to church on Sunday is not what he commanded us to do. He commanded us to make disciples, which means what? If everything that we do does not result in us making disciples, then we need to stop doing it because at the end of the day, Jesus wants his main thing to become our only thing. And his main thing is to make disciples for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we bless you for this day and for this time. We pray now that everything that has been said and done has been pleasing in your sight, has brought glory and honor to you. God, help us today to make your it our it, to make your main thing our only thing to live our lives in a way that we would obey what you have commanded. And instead of asking you to bless what we're doing, help us to make the commitment to do what you're blessing. We love you and we ask your blessings right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Man, I hope and pray that you are are ready to make that commitment. Can, can I tell you something? The ultimate fulfillment that you're looking for in life, the ultimate fulfillment that you're looking for in life will only be found when you walk in obedience to what God has called you to do. His purpose for you has to become your purpose for you. And can I tell you something about being a disciple? Man, it's, it's not about being a preacher or a pastor. It's not about being a church statesman or standing in front of the congregation. That's not what being a disciple is. It's literally making a commitment to helping the people you come in contact with on your day-to-day journey, helping them to come to know Jesus 
and helping them to grow in Jesus. That's what being a disciple is all about. If you're watching right now and you want to take that first step because you need the Lord in your life, I don't know how God is moving in your life, but here's what I've learned firsthand. God has so much to work with and he can get your attention in so many ways. If you feel led to give your life to the Lord, you want to become a Christian, you want to be saved, click on the link right now that says, I want to become a Christian. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to the Lord. I need the Lord in my life. And I will show you privately via video how to ask the Lord into your life. If you're looking for a church to become part of, uh, we're meeting in person, but we're not leaving the digital platform. And you'd like to unite with us on one platform or the other or both, just click on the link and say, I want to join the church. And our commitment is to help you in the process of becoming what God wants you to be. If you want to worship the Lord in giving and partner with us in the kingdom building work, man, we would love to have you do that. Uh, there are six ways that you can worship the Lord on the digital platform. Pick any one of those six ways and give as the Lord leads you to give. We have our church anniversary, our 150th church anniversary that we are celebrating this month and for the rest of the year, our sesquicentennial celebration, our 150th birthday. I'm so blessed to be the sixth pastor in 150 years, and I'm excited about what God is doing in the history of our church. And when I say what God is doing in the history of our church, it's really about what God is doing in the lives of our people in your life, because that's really where the church is. It's people. Remember, whenever the New Testament talks about church, it's talking about people. So I'm asking you to give as the Lord leads you. There are many of you who have already started, many of you who have given your sacrificial gift above your regular tithes and offerings, whether it's a dollar a year, $5 a year, $10 a year, $50 a year, $100 a year, whatever it is, we've asked that you would give sacrificially in honor of our 150th anniversary. There are some tremendous things that God is calling us to do. Uh, just meeting this past week with a group coming in to help us formalize our health and wellness ministry and our wellness center so that we can help hundreds of people in our community find healing for their body as well as for their spirit uh, to address the health disparities in our community, uh, including uh, the rampant nature and presence of uh, prostate cancer, uh, breast cancer, diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure. There's so many things that are just part of our community and we just think it's a part of life, not recognizing that there are some things that we can do to combat those various illnesses, not to mention COVID, cancer, and other ailments. You can also register online for our 150th uh, anniversary banquet, which will be held on April the 23rd. Uh, we're looking forward to God blessing in a special way as we get together and celebrate uh, the history of our church. 
uh, with the recognition that while we're celebrating history, God is also calling us to be good stewards of this present age so that we're making history. And we want to make sure that we do that. Life groups are coming back. Man, matter of fact, you can get started right now. Go to our website and sign up for a life group. Um, we want you to feel connected. Life groups uh, is an acronym for living in fellowship every day. Living in fellowship every day. We want to connect you with other believers so that you can pray for one another and love on one another and help one another walk this thing called the Christian life. So please, ma'am, please, sir, register today. Let us know you're interested so we can plug you in to a life group. All right. Last but not least, listen to me carefully. God is doing something wonderful in you. God is doing something wonderful in me. Let's let God have his way. Let's, let's jettison the unnecessary so that we can focus on the necessary so that we can fulfill our purpose in the Lord because it's in fulfilling our purpose that we can fulfill our potential and find the blessings that God has for us in life and living. God bless.